Thank you, Natalie, choir, orchestra, and uh, our youth choir that sang earlier. I always am blessed by you. Thank you so much for that. William Ward wrote, the mediocre teacher tells. The good teacher explains. The superior teacher demonstrates and the great teacher inspires. We are all grateful for those teachers and those circumstances in our lives that have impacted our lives, that have shaped our lives and made us who we are. When I was in high school, I got a job one summer raking hay. Now, probably you have not done that, but I, I was not a professional at it. I just got a job, and so they put me on the tractor, and I'm out in the field raking hay. As I am driving around raking hay, I saw a pickup in the distance coming. I knew that it was the pickup of Mr. Jenkins who had hired me. He was flying down the road. He drove into the field up close to where I was. He got out of the pickup and began yelling at me immediately. I knew he was upset because he was not using Baptist words when he was speaking to me. <laughs> he came running up there yelling at me, do you not know that you have a flat tire and those tires are expensive? Being a teenager, not being the sharpest knife in the drawer, I looked at the tire and I said, it looks good on top. <laughs> I learned that day that just because something looks good on top does not mean it looks good on the bottom. Now, we are involved in this series titled, Give Me Five, and what we're asking you to do is every day at five o'clock pray for revival. Ask the Lord to send us revival to our nation. And then we're asking you to invite one person a week to come to church with you, someone who is not already in church. And then I'm preaching five messages about five, and hopefully these are going to be learning experiences for us, that we learn a little more as to what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Now last week, our focus was on the five stones of David. And I gave you five stones as to how you slay the giants which come after you. We all face giants in life, so how can we slay them? Today, the message is on five loaves as we look at the loaves of the lad. And that teaches us about ministry. Interesting to me, I know the importance of ministry but this morning, while I was doing my devotion times, I happened to come to that passage of Scripture where Jesus asked Simon Peter three times, Do you love me? Each time Simon Peter said, Lord, you know that I love you. Yes, I love you. You remember what Jesus said? Feed my sheep. Ministry is important. And that is what this message speaks of today. We're looking at the text where there was the feeding of the multitude. Now, according to Matthew, there were 5,000 men besides women and children. So that means within the multitude, there were probably around 20,000 people who were involved. So let's look at that passage, John chapter 6, beginning in verse number 1. After these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, or Tiberias, 
And a great multitude was following him because they were seeing the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. And Jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Jesus therefore lifting up his eyes and seeing that a great multitude was coming to him, said to Philip, where are we to buy bread that these may eat? And this he was saying to test him. For he himself knew what he was intending to do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, for everyone to receive a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are these for so many people? I want to give you today five principles for ministry. If you are a child of God, you understand that we demonstrate Christianity. We show Christianity by the lives that we live. So I want to give you five principles for ministry today. The first is that vision for ministry precedes the resources to do ministry. Now you look there at verse number five. Jesus, therefore, lifting up his eyes and seeing that a great multitude was coming to him. You see, in the face of needs, oftentimes we find that we have inadequate resources. We see the need first, but we realize that we have inadequate resources. And that was so with the disciples here. Now, there were 12 disciples. They are going to feed the multitude. There are 20,000 people. How are they going to do that? How are 12 men going to feed 20,000 people? There were insufficient workers. There were insufficient funds. If you see in verse 7, Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them for everyone to receive a little. A denarius was a working man's salary for a day. So what Philip is saying is if I had eight months salary, I would not be able to give them just a bite. If I had eight months salary, I would not be able to feed them insufficient funds, insufficient resources. Verse number eight, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother said to him, there's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are these for so many people? You see, what they found was also insufficient. They didn't have the funds. They didn't have the workers. What they found was insufficient. It's interesting that he had barley loaves. Barley is prescribed in the Mishnah as bread used by an adulteress when making a sin offering. I understand the grain that is used here was for the poorest of people. In fact, it was considered only to be fit for animals, not for humans. So what I want you to understand is that when they go out to look what is available, what they found was totally inadequate. So what Jesus is teaching them is the inadequacy of man. But he was also teaching them what we cannot provide, God can. In verse number 6, And this he was saying to test him, for he himself knew what he was intending to do. 
Jesus already knew what he was going to do. This did not catch him by surprise. He already knew what he was going to do. Folks, what we do is simply take what we have and give to God. And our insufficient becomes sufficient when we give it to God. Jesus told the story in Luke chapter 21 about the widow who put two mites in the offering. That was about a quarter of a cent. And then he said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. You see, when we give or minister out of our abundance, we think we are enriching God. When we give or minister out of our poverty, we understand it is God who enriches us. The first thing we have to understand as we look at this passage of Scripture is that the vision of ministry precedes our resources to do ministry. The second lesson or the second principle I see is that the needs of others take precedence over my own needs. You know, that's easy to preach, but it sure isn't easy to live, is it? The needs of others take precedence over my own needs. Now, Jesus and the disciples had needs. Look at verse number one. After these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee or Tiberias. Why was Jesus and the disciples going to the other side, which would be the Golan Heights? Why were they going over there? They were going to the other side. Why were they going? Because they needed rest. Mark chapter 6 verse 31 says, And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a lonely place and rest a while. For there were many people coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So what you need to understand about Jesus and the disciples is that they had the need to rest. Because they were so involved in ministry, they were so involved in meeting the needs of others that they were simply worn out. They didn't even have time to eat. So they were going to the other side to rest. That was their need. But the multitude also had a need. Look at verse 2. And a great multitude was following him because they were seeing the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. Many of those people who had come came because they had a need. They were sick. They needed healing. So they came to Jesus because they were needy. John MacArthur wrote, This crowd was not motivated by faith, repentance, or genuine love for Jesus. On the contrary, they followed the Lord because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. They flocked to see his works, but ultimately refused to accept his words. So as you look at that passage of Scripture, Jesus and the disciples had needs. They needed to rest. The multitude that came had needs. They needed healing. They needed ministry. So here's the point. The disciples neglected their own need to minister to the multitude. They put others before themselves. And folks, that is the Christian life. The Lord has called us to sacrifice. 
for others. Romans chapter 12 verse 10 says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another. In other words, I am, if I'm a follower of Christ, I am to sacrifice to minister to others. I'm to put others before myself. Well, that's what the teachers, the Sunday school teachers do. They sacrifice their time. They spend time studying the Bible, studying the lesson. That when you come on Sunday morning, that they might teach you the Word of God. They, they sacrifice their time to be able to minister to you. That's what the choir does, the orchestra does. They practice on Wednesday night. They get here early on Sunday morning. But they are here because they are sacrificing their time that you and I can come and our hearts can be prepared in worship. They are putting others before themselves. What the ushers do, the ushers that we have do all that they can to make sure that you are comfortable, that you are safe. They do all of those things. But then they don't get to sit with their families. They put you before their own families. They put you before themselves. That's what we do when we witness. When someone talks to someone else about Jesus, you are sharing your experience, you're sharing your time with someone else that they might come to know Christ as Savior. That's what a tither does. Someone who gives, gives their money that someone else may hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Lord calls us to minister that we put others before ourselves that we might minister to them. Do we have needs? Yes, we have needs. But others' needs come first for someone who is following after Christ. Jesus has called us to minister. There was an elderly lady who was asked about her Christian faith, and she said Christianity is joy, J-O-Y. Jesus, others, you, in that order. The second principle, if we are going to minister, is that the needs of others takes precedence over my own needs. Third thing is the way we respond to needs reveals something about us. The way I respond to the needs of others says something about the condition of my heart. You see, Jesus, I think you would agree with me that Jesus can meet every need. If he is omnipotent, could he not meet every need? Why does he allow needs to exist? If he loves us and he can meet my needs, he can meet your needs then why does he allow needs to exist? Sometimes a need exists to test my faith, to test your faith. Look at verse number five. Jesus, therefore, lifting up his eyes and seeing that a great multitude was coming to him, said to Philip, where are we to buy bread that these may eat? And this he was saying to test him, for he himself knew what he was intending to do. Sometimes a need exists Sometimes you and I are confronted with a need to test our faith, to see where we are. Probably a couple of months ago, I think that I walked out on the street and there was a, a fellow, I think, I, I think that's where it was, I'm not sure Linda was with me, but there was a guy who came up to me and asked me for some money. Now oftentimes I give people money, that's just, that's, I do. But this time I didn't. I didn't give the guy, he asked for some money and I just didn't feel right about it and I didn't do it. 
I bet it wasn't five minutes later when I realized or I believed that that was a test, that God had put me to the test. He had brought this man into my life, into my path to ask me for money. I didn't give him any and I failed the test. I really believe that. You see, sometimes a need will exist simply to test where am I? And I, have, I know that I have been a much more sensitive to people. I, I never give. I know some people say, well, I'm not going to give money. You know, they're going to waste it and do all this stuff. That's not, I don't give money to the person anyway, to be honest with you. I, the Bible says that I give as unto the Lord. So whenever I give someone money, I give to the Lord. And God can do whatever he wants to with it. I don't worry about that. But sometimes a need exists. We confront a need and it simply is a test for us, for me to see where I am. Sometimes there are needs that exist because of sin in, in one's life. And there are consequences to sin. Folks, you can sin. You can choose to sin. But please understand that there are consequences. And sometimes people have needs because of the consequence of their actions. Sometimes needs exist because that need will drive us to God and it matures our faith. As a result of a need in my life that causes me to go to my knees and as a result of going to my knees, then I am maturing in my walk with the Lord. The existence of needs is not nearly as important as our reaction to those needs. There are two basic ways we can respond. When you confront a need with another person, when you confront a need, there are two ways that you can respond. First of all, there is a natural reaction, and that was what we see with the disciples. They responded in a normal, natural way. The first thing they did, here's a need, people need to be fed. What did they do? The first thing they did, count their money. Verse number seven. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them for everyone to receive a little. Now, here, Philip became a CPA. Here's the needs. Jesus said, what are we going to do? These people have, they, they have needs. They need to be fed. What are you going to do? So he said, well, let's see how much money we have. So he became a CPA and began to count the money. Is that what we do oftentimes when there's a need in the church? The first thing we do usually is count the money. How much money do we have? I read a book some years ago by Robert Schuller. A lot of things I, don't particularly, I didn't particularly agree with him, but this I really did. He said, I never allow my staff to ask the question, can we afford something? He said, I only want to know one thing, is it God's will? That's really the important question. Is it God's will? Because if it is God's will, then God will provide. But the first natural reaction when there is a need is that we count the money. As Christians, we do that. If it's time to pledge the budget, there's something like that. And we ask you to consider it. Do you go to the Lord and say, God, what will you have me to do? Most of us count the money. How much money do I have? Now, if plan A doesn't work counting the money, then we come up with plan B. Let's do something else. And they did that also. Look at verse number 8. He counted the money first, and then verse 8, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are these for so many people? So Philip then became a CPA, and Andrew went on a lunch hunt. He said, there's got to be something out there somewhere. We're supposed to feed all these people. There's got to be something out there somewhere. So he is looking for something to feed the people. When there's not enough money, what do we do? Let's appoint a committee to study it. 
I know we got more committees than there are people in this church. Let's, let's appoint a committee to, to study it. Or buy a lottery ticket or do something. But when plan A doesn't work, then we kind of come up with plan B. Now that is a natural response. Or when there is a need, we can look to God. We can look to God. Jack Taylor wrote, God can never allow a need to exist beyond his capacity to supply. Do you believe that? God can never allow a need to exist beyond his capacity to supply. So we can respond to needs in a natural way or in a supernatural way. Israel was surrounded by the enemy. They didn't know what to do because they were overwhelmed by the enemy. And Jehoshaphat called the people to what? Seek the Lord. So scripture says, so Judah gathered together to seek help from the Lord. They even came from all the cities of Judah to seek the Lord. So when there was a need that was there, what did they do? They sought the Lord. They went to the Lord. There's a story in the Bible about a woman who had an issue of blood. She had been ill for years. She went to the doctors and the doctors could not help her. And the Bible says that she sought the Lord. She came to Jesus and said, if I, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I will get well. If, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, then I can be well. Folks, when there is a need, we can respond in a natural reaction or we can respond with a supernatural reaction. We can try to figure it out. We can count the money. We can come up with another plan. We can do all those things or we can simply go to God and see what God can do. The fourth thing, God breaks what he uses. Now, I, I look at the, um, the story here of the bread and the fish, and the Lord broke it to distribute it. God breaks what he uses. I used to hear that years ago. Linda and I have talked about this a lot, but I used to hear that, and I didn't like it, to be honest. Um, I'd hear a preacher say, you know, if God's going to use you, he has to break you. I'm not sure exactly what all that means, but I know something. I know that, uh, that I came to that point in my life. I came to that time in my life, and I know that my faith in God was different, is different than it used to be. God breaks what he uses. You see, our plans fail without God. No matter how hard we try, no matter how smart we are, our plans fail without God. Marriage, you can try to build a marriage apart from God, and you might have a pretty good relationship, actually. I know some people who are not Christians and they're married and they have a pretty good relationship. But I can assure you that it is not what it could be if you built it upon the foundation of God's Word. I love Linda more now than I ever have in my life. But it's because of the Lord in her and the Lord in me. You see, if you're, if you're going to build a a marriage that is going to be lasting and all that you want it to be, then you build it on the foundation of God's Word. As parents, you can try to raise your children 
but you're setting yourself up for, for real difficulty if you don't bring those children up in the Word of God. Put the Word of God in them. That doesn't mean that they're going to be perfect. It doesn't mean that they're going to do everything that you want them to do. But I do believe this, that if you plant the seed in them, that that seed is going to come to fruition. But if we don't plant the seed, then there's no opportunity for the seed to grow. Financial decisions without God fail. I know there are a lot of people a lot smarter about money than I am. But I'm smart enough to know this, that whatever my finances happen to be, I want God to be involved with them. And you know why? Because my daddy taught me that. When I was a little boy, and I still remember him teaching me this as a little boy, it is better to have 90% with God's blessings than to have 100% without his blessings. You see, all of it, it all fails apart from God. It, it, it comes apart. But God's plans succeed. God uses that that is available. Hebrews chapter 11, you know the, the list of those people there. and they, they are not there because of their ability. They're there because of their availability. They are not there because of their holy living. They are there because of their faith. Because God is not looking for super people. He is looking for supernatural people. God uses that that is available. And he used the boy's lunch in verse number 10. Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. The men sat down in number, about 5,000. Jesus therefore took the loaves. So he took the loaves. There was not enough food for that little boy, and yet in the hands of Jesus, he fed the multitude. God uses that that is available. When God called Gideon, he was scared, he was hiding, he was not a likely leader but God used him to, to deliver Israel. David was a shepherd boy, but he was available to God, and God used him to slay the giant. Jeremiah was young and inexperienced, but he was available, and God used him to be a prophet to Israel. Jonah was reluctant, but God used him to bring revival to Nineveh. My friend, if you're available, God will use you. Greatest ability is availability. When Linda and I were young married and we were in church at that time, I I was uh, I worked at a television station. But they were, and God began to work in my heart and call me to preach. And at that time in that church, there were a lot of young guys being called into the ministry. A whole bunch of us. The Lord called a bunch of guys into the into the ministry. And I remember talking with Clyde Plunk, who was the associate pastor there. And he said, Wendell, of all the people God called into the ministry, I thought you had the less chance of being anything. <laughs> I've had other friends to say, you know, if God can use Wendell, he can use anybody. I don't disagree with that. Because God uses the available. Sometimes we think that, you know, God only uses, God uses me because I'm, I'm, just, I'm smarter than everybody else. No, he uses those who are available. He gave thanks in verse number 11. Jesus therefore took the loaves and having given thanks. I love that passage there. Here's this little loaves of bread made out of barley and a couple of sardines. And Jesus didn't complain. He didn't complain. He just gave thanks. 
Don't you like that? I mean, when we have so little to give to the Lord, but when we make it available to the Lord, he doesn't complain and say, my goodness, what do you think I'm going to do with that? He just gave thanks. And there was an abundance. In, in verse number 12, it says, and when they were filled, he said to the disciples, gather up the leftover fragments and that nothing may be lost. In the wilderness, when God provided bread from heaven, there was only enough for the day. But here they ate until they were filled, and then there were leftovers. Fifth thing is that God is glorified in verse number 14. When therefore the people saw the sign which he had performed, they said, This is of a truth the prophet who's to come into the world. When God meets needs, folks, he is glorified because God has promised to meet needs. In Philippians chapter 4, verse number 19, Paul wrote, My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Why does God do that? Why does God meet our needs? Well, first of all, because he loves you. Whenever I pray, as I was praying before I came out here today, I, you know, I recognize that God is God. He is the God of gods and the Lord of lords. He's the King of kings. He's majesty. He's sovereign. All those things. But my friend, he's my father. And God is a loving father who wants to meet the needs of his children. When he does, it brings him glory because it speaks of his power and of his love and it strengthens our faith. I look back in my life where the Lord has met my needs at various times and to be honest with you, oftentimes I still live on the residue of that. Because God met my needs, I have seen his hand. I've seen his sufficiency in my life. And the lost are saved as they recognize him as the Messiah. Let me conclude. Oftentimes we look around and we see all the needs that we face. We see all the difficulties we face. And we say, it's impossible. But God says what is impossible with man is possible with God. Oftentimes we look around and we see all the needs. We see all the challenges and we say, I can't do it. And God says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We look around sometimes and see all the challenges facing us and we're saying, I'm afraid. God says, fear not, I'm with you. I read the story of a man who was shipwrecked on a small island. He was there for days and days and days and he, after a while he built a little hut with driftwood. And one day he had gone to try to find something to eat and apparently he left a fire going or something and while he was gone, the hut caught on fire and burned down. He came back and saw it and he says, God, why would you do that? I have so little, I have virtually nothing. Why would you take what I have, what little I have? The next day there was a ship that came and rescued him. He said, how did you know that I was here? They said, yesterday we saw your smoke signal. Your need, I know not what it is, but your need may be your smoke signal that calls God to your side to meet your need. Father, we come to you today and thank you that you are God who meets needs. And Lord, we are to be a people who meets needs. I pray for these today who have needs in their lives, some spiritual, some have never come to know Jesus Christ as Savior. And I pray they'll let you meet that need today. 
Father, there are those who need fellowship. They need companionship. They, 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 need a, they, they need a church home to surround them and love them. And I pray, Father, that you'll let us be that. Father, thank you that you love us. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask that you stand with me, please, as we extend an invitation. As we stand together, the choir's going to sing. If you're here without Christ, would you commit your life to him? If you're looking for a church home, our door's open. We'd love to have you. You come as they sing. I'll greet you when you come.